This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom, welcome to the Practical Spirituality course here in Asia Torah in the Old City of Jerusalem, overlooking the Temple Mount. Thank you. Not the Kotel. It is the Kotel, but we've stopped. We're, we're, in, we're the generation that stops calling it the Kotel. We're at the Temple Mount. Okay? The Kotel is in the way. <laughs> and we love the Kotel. We love praying there, and it's wonderful. But it's in to our generation, it's like plaque. <laughs> it's in the way. And, uh, but that's not really what's in the way. You all know there's much more in the way than the Kotel. <laughs> Kotel is the least of our problems. Now, the um, today's class, we're talking about the secrets of the name of God. And... I'll just catch you up on yesterday. Is that a black pen? That's a blue pen, but it's close to black. Okay, so here we are. We've got, we've been talking a little bit about the secrets of Jewish letters. And on the right over here, we're just going to name the top of the letters, and that's called the spiritual. I'll go with green for that. So it's a good pen. Spiritual. And then we got the bottom of the letters, which is the physical. And just to give you an example of what I mean by spiritual and physical, um, you, when you have like the letter Yud, for example, okay, does that look like a spiritual letter or a physical letter? It's a very spiritual letter. And then you got the Vav, for example, which every letter starts with a Yud. So there's the Yud, but then there's the Vav. What's that look like, spiritual or physical or... We're not doing God's name yet. Spiritual. <laughs> Thank you. Um, spiritual. What about this one? Spiritual or physical or both, right? It's a yud, which, you know, yud is just like pure idea. Above is implementation. And that's where we were yesterday. It was, I was asking some kid, name your, raise your hand, please, if you're one of these creative types who has trouble, like, remembering anything because you're just <laughs> creative. Okay. So uh, I'll take, I don't care who I take. Uh, okay, so you're a creative. What's your name? Dahlia. So Dahlia's a creative. And you, do you want to be like Van Gogh who sells his first product in the last year of his life because he never could get it together? No. No. You'd like to get whatever your creativity is into the world. So the way you do that is with the Vav. But you're not a Vav personality. You're probably a huge personality, my sense is. I'm also a huge personality. I always have someone who works for me who's above personality. And now, um, you can usually hire a young person who's a highly qualified above personality who's an implementer. And they usually will be happy to be hired for $2,000 a month. You have an extra $2,000 a month? Not at the moment. Not at the moment. So, okay. So, what you do is you go to a bank and you tell them you'd like an unsecured loan. That means no, you don't have anything to show for yourself. But you like $12,000, okay, which is half a year of hiring this VUV. So you'd like $12,000, you hire the VUV, and, um, and then that person's job is to sell, to get out into the world whatever it is you're creating. Clear? So I give a promise, I have this special rabbinic promise I tell everybody, that creatives who do this will not only have paid back the bank, within six months, 
but they'll have paid this other human being who's now feeding themselves and perhaps even their young family uh, $2,000 a month, which is pretty nice to feed another family. And, you know, it certainly makes the world go around to be helping somebody else eat. And thirdly, you yourself will have made much more money than you would have made <laughs> had you spent six months staring at your belly button, which is what creatives generally do. So you understand that it's, it's a big win. And this we understand just with Hebrew letters, because your personalities are very much up here, and above personalities are very much in here, and they, and it's it's just it's just a perfect fit. Now there's another letter. It starts with a yud. Every letter starts with a yud because no nothing happens without an idea, and that's called the nun. And the nun is just a yud, well implemented, but but without guidance. It's an unguided you know, thing. There's a lot of people who are, have great ideas that need a lot of guidance. You know, like, uh, for example, there's people in business that, have, that need ethical guidance. You know, there's ethics. Like, what do you put in your products? And they make sure it's not harming people. They're making, for example, trans fats illegal in certain countries because it's just really bad. It's not real oil. In the co they're not cooking with real oil. They're taking, they're taking solids, and turning them into oils, and they're they're killing, they're just clogging people's arteries and bodies, and in all these junk food, you know, snacks people are buying, and other foods. So, so if so, you can have a great idea how to make a bunch of money selling junk food. You can even get really good at implementing that, and even create factories making it, and the whole sales and marketing and everything, and. Uh, but in the end, it's going to where? What's this place below the physical? What do you call that? The dark side, the citra, the dark side. And that's the nun. Well, you'll notice, by the way, that I've, I've just spelled out the name of an ancient civilization who we fought and won. During, and we light candles in the winter solstice over our victory. What is the spell? Yavan. Yavan. Greece is called Yavan. Who had better ideas than the Greeks? And to this day, and my son, I have a son who's a, who's a bird watcher. <laughs> is, that, is that like, how cool is that? Like, how many people have 15 year old children in our generation who like want to wake up at four in the morning to see the most birds? I mean, this is like got to be, I mean, you, you won the nerd award, you know? <laughs> And he's like the coolest kid ever. He's like a hardcore mountain biker. He's a total beer fanatic. He's like, but because he's raised in the Torah in a Hasidic community, he found something he's crazy about. I mean, he makes bird calls and birds actually come. He's, he's like, he's amazing. And uh, anyway, why am I talking about uh, my son and bird calls? And It'll come back to me. Anyway, so, and he just got licensed to tag them. Like, he's now, in, oh, is he has to, he has to learn not only the names in English and not only the names in the Hebrew, because this is where he's getting his degree in bird watching, um, but he has to know them in Latin. Because Latin, as my son explained to me the other day, is, is a scientific language. It's a very scientific language. And you'll notice that Latin's like all over stuff. 
all the time. Like I was just looking recently at a really fancy kind of boutique olive soap while I was taking a shower the other day. And I was looking on the back and every oil it mentioned that's in there, these fancy oils, came with the Latin term as well, as if anybody cares. And but like I had to read this like long parenthetical word for every ingredient kind of, of its... I don't know, but it ended with U.S. Each, each thing ended with word us, which is kind of inclusive. So, the... <laughs> there, I mean, and this is some, like, lost... Think about it. This is a totally lost, failed civilization called Greece. But their ideas were so powerful. Like, the word democracy, what language is that? You understand? That's from them. All of this... All of our... The furniture of our minds come from their ideas, unless you're Jewish. If you're Jewish, what you're trying to do is put as much Torah in your mind as possible, Jared, till like you can push it out, because it's not our tradition. All that, all those thoughts, their way of thinking is not our way of thinking. And we we fought, I, literally, we fought with them, a um, ideological bat war. It was an ideological war. Greece did it. They were pretty cool with the people they conquered, they just wanted you to ship olives back to Greece. They wanted you to ship bananas back to Greece. Like they, they were pretty cool with the local cultures because they, they themselves didn't proliferate too much. Back to Peru. You know, they weren't, they weren't famous for being fruitful and multiplying. They were into infanticide for females and they were, um, and it was considered particularly valorous to be involved in homosexual relations in the Greek world. So it didn't make a lot of sense to like wipe out the nations they took over. They were pretty cool with them. But they didn't do well with us. With us, we had the giant Maccabee Wars. And they were fought over ideology. Not over... I mean, they were totally cool with us. Like, you guys do your thing. We'll do our thing. Don't forget to send olives. And, and it just... We, aren't, we don't think like them. And we don't, we don't agree with much of what their philosophy is. And we also don't believe in democracy. Democracy is the worst of, is the best of all evils today, but Judaism is a theocracy. Now our history was such that we had many evil kings, and so theocracy is a disaster if the king isn't a good guy. But we did have periods where we had some amazing kings, some really amazing kings, and everyone knows David and Shlomo are famous kings, but there were several others that were really awesome kings. And our society worked a lot better than any democracy would. But power is corrupting, and democracy tends to keep power in check. Now, how is Greece at uh, implementation? How are they at implementation? Good or bad? Hmm? They were really, 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 really good. They were so good that there were all kinds of other civilizations on the planet at the time of Greece that now that they're gone, there's almost no remnant at all of their having either, even existed. I mean, you can find maybe an idol here and there, but it's hard to even see that they ever existed. But Greece, anyone here ever been to Athens? Been to, I've been to Athens. It's pretty impressive. These people, they know how to implement. They, they're not just dreamers. They are dreamers like you and I are dreamers, or we're dreamers. Moshe over there is a dreamer. But they were like implementers. They had that vav totally wired. They were implementers. 
But the problem was they didn't have ethic. I mean, they had ethic, but it wasn't the ethics of creation. It wasn't the creator's ethic. It was whatever they thought was ethical, you know, which was pedophilic. You know, like, for example, one of the most honorable things you could be was a warrior with a boy lover. That was considered of the highest things that in society that could happen. You know, something we today would put someone behind bars for, they considered to be of the highest value. Killing a female infant was also considered part of the ethic. So, so it was like very random and very against anything that we would call ethical today. Now, in other words, the, the great ideas and the implementations go to the dark side, as we see they often do. You know, we, we, you see in the news all the time people, people having a, you know, ethical issues with their products and lawsuits going on and, and you know, people having to change ingredients with things or, or issues in sanitation that, that were overlooked for financial gain. And uh, um, you see it also in the, in the financial world where, where people with big ideas of schemes and leveraging of monies can implement that stuff. And, but it goes to the dark side, and you have thousands of middle-class Americans losing their homes because of the bubbles that were created by the leveraging of, of generally Jews in Manhattan, you know, who are, you know, we're just really good at that kind of stuff. So, so you realize that the word Greece is, but check out what a cool pictorial it is. You realize Hebrew's pictorials. This is a, a perfect pictorial. And also, Greeks were really into external beauty, like form. Check out the form of their name. And check out how the name of the country itself, the name of the civilization itself, is a pure description of exactly what took place until they fell altogether. And the fall of Greece is the word nofel. It's with a nun, because the nun in Hebrew represents fallen. It's not a, considered one of the higher letters. It's considered one of the lower letters. So much so that one of the great psalms, one of the most famous and most repeated of all psalms in the Jewish world is Ashrei. And it goes through the Aleph bit. It goes to each one. Arumimacha, Bechol, Yoim, Gadol. It's Aleph bet Gimel. When it gets to the Nun, it skips it. It skips the Nun altogether. Like our holiest of psalms that we say three times a day, we skip the Nun. Like no Nun there. It, go, it skips from Samek straight to Potech et Yadecha. Sorry, it skips from, from Mem to Samech. And what's amazing about the word Samech, guess what it says? Samech Hashem, God supports, what? Kol ha noflim, noflim, nun. God supports those who fall. It skips to the Samech, skips nun, goes to the Samech, and says God supports the fallen. That's where the nun is. The nun winds up there, where it's being supported. God does support the fallen. And so, so anyway, that's the final note. Now, you want to see something amazing in another pictorial, which I think you'll enjoy a lot, is, uh, is the letter Tzadik. Yesterday we did the letter Tzadik. I like the letter Tzadik because it's very yogic. <laughs> so we did the letter Tzadik yesterday. Does this red one work? No, this one's good. We have a little pen graveyard, but it's hard to hit it between this upper thing and You should see what's up there. It's for years. No one's ever looked. 
Got a little pen grave around here. You don't want to answer Kaddish for the last pen. So, anyway, it always starts with a. Always starts with a. Good, good. And look, I'm drawing a nun. Only this is a different kind of nun. This is a nun that's pulled his legs up from below, because this nun's a fallen nun. But this is a kind of nun that is actually called a what? Okay, this is called a tzaddik. Tzaddik's a different kind of nun, because this is a, this tzaddik, oh, let me put our yoga guy in here. Okay, so the tzaddik is, is, so we spoke about this yesterday, but his hands are in heaven, he like realizes God's in charge, like raise your legs up from the dark side. Like, get yourself out of the dark side, which goes back to Kabbalah and your original question, is get out of the dark side. Like, okay, you have that issue, but, like, get your legs up. So, hands up to heaven, and hands up to heaven, and firmly in the baseline, whereas monks in India and stuff like that, or monastic, people who take monastic vows, monks, church monks, all the different chipmunks, Every kind of monk, okay? What letter would a monk be based on Gentiles? A yud. Monks are yuds. They're not involved sexually. They're not involved financially. They're not involved... They're just not in the physical world. They're fasting. They're, they renounce their possessions. They are, they are supported by the monastery. And they, they're not part of this world. Whereas at Sadiq, as we said yesterday, anyone who's a holy man or a holy woman in Judaism is only taken seriously once they're married. Like, until you're married, you're not taken seriously at all. And so, the tzaddik has to be a married person. They have to be in, and now once you're fruitful, multiply, now you got to feed the kids, which means now you got to be getting, you know, out there in, like, the world of money and, like, feeding your family and, like, you know, the, the tzaddik's involved in the physical world in a big way and has to be. Now, what's cool about it is... What happens when you add a tzaddik to the word Greece? What do you get? What you get is the word Sion. Sion has the word Greece within it. Only the difference is, is it's, it's got the tzaddik holding things together. Meaning, meaning Zion. And this was one of the issues of Greece and Israel. Is where they went back then, they generally went to, Greece was taking over African areas and and some Middle Eastern areas and stuff, but they, the areas they were taking were, were pretty backwards, whereas Greece was very forwards, except for Israel. Zion, 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 the land of Israel, was extremely forward. And the, 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 our temple way outdid any structure they had. There was nothing as beautiful as, as our temple. And, they, uh, and so they came to a society that was just as advanced, if not more advanced, not to mention the Kohanim have the names of gods, so you get to do all kinds of cool stuff with that. You got the names of God, you can start doing really funky stuff. So we, we were super advanced, like super advanced. I mean, think about the ark itself. The ark itself's a conductor. What's a conductor? It's got metal, then a, then a non-conducting, and then metal on the other side, and that creates electricity. Think about the ark is made of gold, wood, gold. I mean, how cool is that? And the wood used for the ark is the the is the DMT tree. Did you know that the, the DMT tree, DMT tree of all the entire 
of all the, every organic thing in the world has, has a, a compound called DMT, and including your own body, you, you produce it too. Um, but it's particularly in vegetations. And, uh, but of all the vegetation in the entire world, no tree has more DMT per square inch than, uh, than the acacia tree, which has over 120 types. But of all the 120 types of acacia, meaning every acacia has the most concentration of DMT, but of all the acacias, the acacia of Israel, which the ark is made of, and the other vessels were made of, has the highest of all the DMT trees, all the acacia trees. So, so notice the spirit molecule is what this, this conductor, it's a conductor. Why is it gold, wood, gold? Why is it, why is it conductor, then a non-conductor, and then conductor? With these sticks going through that you're never allowed to take out. You know, like you, you have to have these sticks that can never come out. And it's housed in the tabernacle in a room that doesn't even fit it. Meaning in the actual traveling thing, it, it shouldn't fit physically. It was larger than the room it fits in. How's that supposed to work? But, it, but there it was. And the, and the juice, <laughs> this is the kind of thing you want to keep her away from war, right? You want to protect it? You know, like a, like a Torah, we would protect, we put it in a fireproof sto- safe with, you know, then, then, you know, and then doors and then a curtain and the Torah itself has, has a belt and a jacket and a breastplate and it's like we protect the Torah. But did you know that whenever we fought wars, guess what was in the front? The Ark. The Ark. And then we'd fight some whole battle to defend our land and then somehow no Jews were dead. Somehow the Ark did its thing and the Torah says, you'll just watch. You'll watch quietly. In all your wars, you will just watch quietly. And they would just walk out with the, with the ark. And don't forget, the high priest had this breastplate with 12 stones that are each one of these stones, each one of these precious stones, has huge power in the upper worlds. This is why you'll notice that whenever you're at New Age shops, they have like, they have like all these different kinds of crystals and stuff. Because our uh, Rabbeinu Baha'i, one of the great sages, said that that there's no precious stone in the world that doesn't have tremendous power in heaven. So the Kohen Gadol, who's this high priest of the Kohanim, of the priests, you know, the Kohens, he's, he's wearing this super funky outfit with this breastplate with these 12 stones with each of the tribes etched in it by a Shamir worm. Meaning it's not etched from the outside, it's etched internally by a special worm that, that, would, that etched the names of each tribe. And he's walking around with that thing. And before they'd fight a battle, like if we were being attacked, because it was always defense. That's why we're the IDF. We defend what's worth defending. We're not an offensive army. We're not imperialistic. We don't want anyone else's land. We only want the land that God delineated to Abraham. Nothing else. We're not interested in anything else. We want just the Holy Land. And so, but if we were attacked, and we wanted to like figure out what's the right day to go deal with them, with the people gathering at our border, so, so they would actually go to the breastplate and the, the high priest could, you could read it and it would tell you what to do. It actually was, it, it did all the reconnaissance for us. And you could literally ask the breastplate any question. It was, it was a medium. It was like an oracle. It was like Siri. Yeah. And, and the breastplate would answer the questions of what to be doing. And then you, and then you head out to battle with the ark in front. And it's doing whatever. I can just imagine like things going between the staves, you know, the, the 
things it was held with. <laughs> Imagine, like, those were also wood covered in, those are just wood with gold, but it's connected. It can never be unconnected. It's connected to the whole thing. So you've got this, like, superconducting thing going on in the ark. By the way, we know where the ark is, meaning not me necessarily, and not we necessarily, but, but the ark was hidden. When they realized that Nebuchadnezzar was going to destroy Jerusalem, they hid the ark. So when you hear rumors about the ark being in Ethiopia or the ark being here or there or anywhere, the, um, it's not talking about the ark of Moses necessarily. The, the actual ark of Moses was hidden by the Jews, put under the Temple Mount, and in a very, very difficult, if not impossible place to find. And it's, um, and it's also, uh, it's also you, have you seen how big some of those stones are? And you know how, like, they were able to move them, though today, modern technology, we don't know how to move them. We can't move stones that big. I mean, it would just take a crane and knock it over. So they knew somehow how to move that stuff. And when in the room that the ark is, they put one of those stones at the doorway. In other words, no one's getting in there. And no one's going to find it. And it's not even, like, drillable. It's, it's, uh, it's deep inside. Uh, we know its geographic location. I'm not going to say it publicly. But it's meaning we only know its uh, we know its coordinates. We just don't, don't know how deep and how deep under the Temple Mount. There's a lot going on under the Temple Mount because remember, under the Gold Dome is the tip of Mount Moriah, which means all the rest of the mountain is a giant platform that was built to be called the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount's a flat thing surrounding a, a steep mountain with a tip under the Golden Dome. So there, there's depth there, lots of depth there. And not to mention their ability to dig was pretty intense back then, too. So it's locked in a room with uh, one of those, like, unmovables blocking the doorway of where it is. Um, the, but, it, but again, there's, uh, we had different periods of time where there might have been other arcs, meaning created arcs, uh, that could be, for example, the one in Ethiopia, that uh, no one's seen, of course, but there is some Ethiopian guy who guards it till he dies, and then the next one guards it till he dies. And, and they've been in Ethiopia, sitting by a cave, guarding it till they die. Now, what ark that is exactly, who knows? But the Ark of Moses was buried, was buried here. We don't have any, there is no Jewish tradition whatsoever of an ark being in Ethiopia. But there is one in, there is some kind of ark in Ethiopia being guarded. By uh, one dedicated, you know, Ethiopian. You know how they named the Ethiopians they, when they came to Israel and they saw how beautiful it was. They said, "They, they said, Ethiopia." Sorry, they were trying to say Ethiopia, Ethiopia. You know how the Jews named Van Nuys in Los Angeles? When they got up on the hills of Brentwood where I grew up and they looked over at the valley, they said, Van Nuys. <laughs> I apologize for being bored sometimes. You know when I start telling <laughs> random jokes, I got bored. So, anyway, I'm not bored, but, you know, taught this about a thousand times. Um, Wait, let me just finish with the Zion thing, just to put it all together for those people who are a little slow. Just kidding. Um, 
So the, the idea is amazing ideas, great implementation, the potential of the dark side, but being informed by God, the tzaddik, being informed by God, and altogether that makes Zion. Now, I just want to mention one more thing, and that's Joseph. Joseph, who is, uh, you know, he's an interesting character in the Torah. And if you don't know any oral Torah, you'd never know he's a spiritual guy at all. I mean, he seems vain. He's always twirling his pays around, and he's, he's, then he goes to Egypt, and he's like, I mean, he's just like this, he's basically Alan Greenspan, or, uh, or uh, what do you call the, there's always a Jew running the treasury in America, what, what, what's her name now? It's a lady now. Yellen is her name? Yeah, it's a lady named Yellen. Uh, it's always, you know, we're th- I think we're at three Jews in a row, but someone's always in charge of the money of America. You know, they set the interest rates and stuff, which is really a very powerful thing, very powerful move and position. So that's basically Joseph. Joseph was to take the th- seven years of plenty and save accordingly. And he's basically, he's a finance guy. And then he has to, because he knows there's going to be seven years of famine when he's going to be distributing it so society doesn't die. But what does he do? He winds up buying for Pharaoh everybody's stuff and everybody's homes. And in the end, he tells them, okay, you know, you're out of money, you're out of homes, so you can sell yourselves as slaves to Pharaoh and I'll feed you. And so, I mean, he's the ultimate capitalist. The ultimate capitalist. Yosef is like, he is... Greece, you know, amazing at what he's doing, excellent implementer, and, you know, questionable the dark side, except he's called Yosef Ha. He's called Yosef Atzadik. So he's actually Atzadik. Now, what's cool about Yosef is that he's teaching us a great lesson, and the lesson is physical and spiritual. Physical and spiritual. Why? Because, you know, this building is dedicated to spirituality. But there was a lot of money had to be made by donors. There was a lot of work that had to be done. I watched it. And you couldn't bring heavy machinery in here because of the old city and sensitivities. So I literally watched them dig this thing for, for three years, looking out a window in the other building by the auditorium where I studied every day in that, in that room. And uh, it was like there was nothing spiritual going on here at all. It was physical. And it was physical, and it was physical on the first floor, and then the second floor, and the third floor, and the fifth. It was just physical, physical, it was physical, physical. And finally, it was built, and we opened up for our first class on spirituality. The state of Israel, the founders of the state of Israel, into spirituality or physicality? Physicality, they were, let's, we gotta, first of all, we gotta get here, and then we gotta get the Jews here, and then, and then we gotta build highways and hospitals and army and it's purely physical but once it's all built what happens spiritual so we're still in right now in the building stages the state of Israel is still very much building you, know, you see the cranes everywhere you know, they say the national bird of Israel is the crane because mm-hmm. it's, it's just constantly building in this country but it's going towards what? what's it ultimately going to be it's going to be spiritual now, either the secular Israelis can turn their lives around now and come to Judaism and actually take it on and start having children who will be somewhat normal, or we'll just watch the Haredim take it over, who have, you know, eight, nine, ten kids per family plus, 
you know, my my family's considered small in my neighborhood. The uh, the the they're just you know it's just a population fact. You know, the the Haredim can just sit quietly and watch the secular Israelis go ex- extinct. Right about over the next thirty years of like finishing the country, like right when it gets finished physically, as soon as the Greece part of Israel is finished, Tzaddik's going to be here because the Haredi community is going to be running the show. Now, and they don't seem very nice. <laughs> if you didn't notice, they're not very friendly. And you know, I'm like the friendliest, smiliest Haredi man you're going to meet. Okay, like get your hug now. Because <laughs> I'm always afraid, like, some birthright group, after I hugged, like, every guy in the birthright group, they're going to, like, go down to the Kotel next and just start, like, hugging all the chassidim there. And the chassidim are just like, we don't, we don't touch. So, anyway, I always think the Haredi world should send me a check every month for being, like, their mascot. Yeah. Anyway. Joseph, what does Joseph do? He sets up all the infrastructure for redemption. He sets up the infrastructure that leads us to Sinai, the most spiritual moment in history. That's all Joseph. Without Joseph, we wouldn't have ever made it. God sent Joseph down. That's what he said to the brothers who sold him into slavery. When the brothers were like, oh man, he's going to kill us now. When he, when he said, I need Joseph, I'm Joseph. And the brothers were like, he's going to kill us. Yeah. And, and Joseph's like, I'm not going to kill you. God sent me here. Because there's going to be an incredible redemption. Zion is coming. Zion is coming. He knew, Joseph knew, that whatever's going on down here, which may be nasty, all of us have been through stuff, is really heaven sent. It's all decreed. It's part of creation. It's part of the story. History. It's part of history. Capital H, his story. Joseph knew that. And so is the state of Israel. Exactly the Joseph story. Physical. He, if you look at Joseph, he's purely physical. You have to know the oral tradition to know he's a tzaddik. Otherwise, you'd never know. But what's cool about all of this is the numbers. Let's check out the numbers. What's the tzaddik? What number? 90. What's the yud? 10. What's a vav? What's a, a nun? 50. Yeah? We do the math. What do we get? Huh? 156. Well, that's a cool number. Check out this name. Eighty plus sixty plus six plus ten is one fifty-six, and he's called Yosef Atzadik. And so the word Zion, Sion, you'll notice also amazing about the word Zion, especially in Psalms, that it's always future tense. See, we think of Zion like you know Zion days of old, which yes, in the Book of Yirmiyahu in Lamentations, it's talking about what happened. But look into Psalms and look at Yeshayahu talking about the times of redemption and Mashiach, it mentions Zion almost exclusively. Psalms only mention Zion in the future. It's a future tense reality. Guys, concentrate for the last second. It's a future tense. 
It's for the end of days. It's when, it's when the state of Israel, which is called the Zionist state, finally gets its tzaddik, and it becomes, instead of a, another Western country, which is Yavan, the father Western state, it becomes Zion, Zion. May we be there soon in our days. Amen. Shalom, everybody. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.